0: By students for students. Ury. How to break a radio station? The podcast is taken from a show broadcast live on Ury. Therefore, whenever we ask you to message him via the website, you will not be able to do so. Please bear this in mind as you enjoy the show.
1: Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to this week's edition of How to Break a Radio Station. This is your show here on URY, which over the course of this term will teach you how to break your very own radio station. I'm Harry, and this is normally the point at which I'd introduce Jess and Alice onto the programme, but deservedly they're taking a break this week. But as they say, there is no rest for the wicked, and that's why I'm still here. Uh, I'm also joined by a few experts because this week we're talking about audio over IP. So I'm joined by Jacob gets invited to the Queen's Garden party without donating to the Rotary Club, Dicker. Hello. Hello. And Isaac, so working class, he was invited to David Miliband's son's birthday party. Hello. Hey, hey. (laughs) Uh, We were also meant to be joined by Mark's Weird Al Al Yangovic on meth, Polikovs, but unfortunately he's had a bit of a cycling incident and uh, won't be able to join us today, but we of course hope you get better very, very soon. Now, this week, we are talking about audio over IP, as I've already mentioned. And before we go over to some experts, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the purpose of audio over IP and its wiring. So with the now widespread introduction of internet-grade wiring through buildings, it's only natural to want to apply it to the carrying of audio. Uh, Think about the University of your campus. Say there is a big event in the lecture theater in physics, but not everybody wants to get into that room. Uh, well they can't. F- everybody can't fit into that room so you need to stream the sound of that debate into the neighbouring room so that the overflow can listen and now these rooms don't have any built in way of sending audio from the microphones of the first room into the speakers in the second uh, and as well you've got to think about the cost having to run multiple high high quality audio cables between the rooms and the relevant amplifiers that would be very expensive and especially if the rooms were quite far from each other The signal, it's not gonna be good when it gets to the other end. But uh, every single room, of course, has ethernet to allow the computers to get onto the internet. Those little plugs in the walls that you plug the computers into, uh, they're halfway between connecting the rooms with half the effort. Uh, The ethernet ports will lead to a central room with a match bay. Uh, there they go into the university's equipment that provides the super-fast internet that all the freshers use uh, to to binge-watch the complete 10 seasons of Friends at least a minimum <laughs> of once per turn. Uh, is it that much of a stretch to think that we could possibly use that port uh, to carry audio or any pretty much anything, really? Uh, you, you've just made a great quality audio connection between two rooms with a 30-centimeter uh, patch cable from the internet. Uh, You can get six of them from a tenner. Compare that to the cost of running special audio cables for that full distance. Uh, That would be an absolute waste for for an irregular event. And don't forget the personnel cost. Someone from Campus AV would have to be there and lay the cable for every single event, making sure that everything's patched properly at both ends, security tape it down, uh, do a test before the event. That is not going to be cheap, and it's certainly not easy. And in reality, no one's gonna be bothering to do that. Uh, If you can use existing cables, you are going to exponentially decrease the cost of both the materials in terms of cabling and the personnel cost for having an engineer either do one run at a time, which is certainly not cheap, or even making a permanent line, which is really, really not cheap. But there's something else that we can learn from the internet cables that produce the best quality reproduction of the audio, uh, of the original audio for the faithful listeners you, 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 you are wise. so the idea of
2: uh encoding audio or any type of other information into a digital pack is nothing new any everyone who's got a phone or a computer has been doing this for ages any information such as images text and indeed audio like this stream, which majority of our listeners will now be listening to the show on, can be sent through the internet in encoded format. And at its most basic element, that simply samples the true value of an object in enough different places to produce a representation of what went in in enough detail so audio as it goes through the air is a sound wave which is picked up by a microphone as we learnt in the first ec- episode and turned into an analog signal if we sample that as it goes as it goes through and turn it into ones and zeros we can quite happily put that down a line and it will be the exact same when it turns up at the end whereas an analog line would uh introduce far too much noise as it goes through if if you do that well enough, a human will not be able to distinguish it from the original noise which went through when you convert it back for a current going into a speaker because you can take those ones and zeros, put it through a digital to analog converter, and suddenly you have the original sound wave or at least close enough. And if we can do that for the recorded music you listen to on the phone, which will be essentially identical to as it, as it was recorded originally in the studio, why shouldn't we be doing that for live audio? in order to mitigate the issues that you have taking it from place to place. You now, you may be wondering what the point of doing that is. After all, it's most people don't really have to deal with cable interference day to day. And the issues faced by someone who's got like a jack fake cable coming from their phone just to a mixer or even plugging into their car, that's not really the issues you need to deal with in audio. In audio, you can have audio runs of kilometers. So why would you do it? Isn't it just more faff? I think Jacob might be able to tell us more on
0: that. Yeah, the 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 big one, the big advantage is capacity. Uh, if you think about uh, a sort of conventional analog audio, you need one cable per channel. Uh, if you have, uh, uh, say, for instance, thirty channels, which in a live event is not an unreasonable number of channels to have, uh, you need thirty. Individual cables to carry all of those channels. Um, those could either be 30 individual cables, or they could be a big multi-core cable with hundreds of individual cores in it. Um, the thing is, these are these are really heavy. <laughs> Uh, On a digital line, however, uh, you can actually carry hundreds of individual high-quality audio channels uh, down one simple cable, or two cables if you prefer redundancy. Uh, The second thing to consider is patching. Uh, How exactly this is done depends on the system you use, Um, there are different ways of doing it, Uh, but many digital audio systems let you route channels from anywhere on the network to basically anywhere else on the network. As long as they're all connected together, you can run the audio however you want and switch it up when you change your mind or realize a flaw with your setup. And the brilliant thing about this is if you've run digital cables, if you run a network to all the destinations that you will possibly need audio, um, you can change all the routing, um, effectively change where data is being sent um, digitally. You don't have to run any new cables, which is brilliant. Um, with copper, well, you, you know, potentially have to redo hundreds of meters of cables, uh, which I can tell you is slow and painful. No one really wants to have to do that.
1: Uh, so, Isaac and Jacob, do you want to talk about uh, how it's how audio over IP is used at uh, say, a big gig or professional broadcasters and the advantages that it brings? So, Jacob's um, got more experience here with live audio. Do you want to
2: talk about how that's been used in sort of the concert situations that you've encountered?
0: Well, this is the really interesting thing, which is that what, what we are talking about today, which is audio over IP, um, is... It is kind of where everything is going. Uh, every, you know, I, I genuinely believe that the flexibility means that at some point everything will have gone that way. Um, but we're still sort of, it's still quite common to see older um, digital audio systems that may use the same Ethernet, you know, Cat5e cables that you're familiar with for getting an internet connection. Um, but these are what we refer to as layer one connections. Um, that means that they're using so this is something like aes 50 um, Now, if you were to plug an aes 50 you know, device into a network, it wouldn't really do anything um, because that's not sending, you know, switched packet data like an Ethernet network. That is using the physical eight cables in the, uh, in, the in the in the Ethernet cable, the eight cores of the cable, um, to transmit audio. The, the The big thing about it is flexibility and speed. Um, and also having you know built-in redundancy, flexibility, and speed. You're not having to run hundreds of meters of cable. You might have a a box, a stage box, at the side of the stage um, with a whole bunch of inputs, uh, and that is then connected to, say, for instance, a mixing console at front of house, or two mixing consoles at front of house, uh, in certain circumstances if you want a second console for redundancy uh, or if you're dealing with a a situation where you have more channels than a single mixing console can process and you need to go out to a second. um, There are also alternative um, options which is say for instance you might have an artist um, and their sound engineer prefers one type of console uh, but a different artist prefers a different one. Uh, You might have a monitor at the side of the stage, a monitor console. That needs to be sent audio as well and then you need to have a, a third one which is uh, maybe you might have a third one in, a, in a, an outside broadcast truck sort of around the back of the stage, which is doing a, a stream for you know the television or radio or online. Um, as I said, we are seeing to go full audio over IP, but AES50, um, which is what I'm going to be using as, as, as the representative standard, because I think even though you're seeing a MADI, so say for instance, which is also known as AES10, uh, Isaac, uh, I, I, I did want to double-check on this. It can transmit okay. down either coaxial cables or fiber. Yeah. Uh, now, this is something where I've had a
2: disagreement with my friend recently because I put this to them when I was doing some research for this episode about how it's more often used. Uh, the coaxial cable i believe is more often used at concerts because it's more resilient to damage one particular instance i remember being uh, forklifts running over a big bundle of cables which were yet to be uh, covered and the analog cables were severed but the coaxial uh maddie run wasn't whereas you can run it over fiber which means you can theoretically take it hundreds of miles yes yes but that's way more fragile and occasionally if you're doing live environments you don't want that
0: yeah, the, the 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 reality is that we're talking about a, a physical layer here, and Madi behaves functionally identically over coaxial cable as it does over fiber. Um, there will be, of course, propagation delay down the coaxial, but that's fractions of a millisecond in terms of a normal distance. Um, the thing about these is that they're not really routable networks. You can't plug them into a Network switch, like you might have, uh, like an ordinary network switch, they will not work. This is why I said at the beginning they something like AS50 uses these cables that we are familiar with, but they use them at a hardware level, and they're interoperable. Not, they, they, yeah, they they will not operate with uh, a conventional kind of network as we understand it. You can buy um, for AS50, you can buy a router. Um, which I think is quite interesting. Um, which Another basically made by Clark Technic, aren't they? Yes, yeah. it's a it's a box called a DL four um, six one, and it's basically a big um, digital signal processing engine that takes one input and then sends it to a, a bunch of different inputs. Um, it's not really routing like a network switch, um, as we view it. Um, even though in function in functionality, you could have that by the side of the stage. You plug all your stage boxes into that router. You plug your monitor's console into that router, you plug your OB console into that router, and you plug your console at front of house into that router. Um, but it's not its not particularly flexible. It's still very much reliant on the hardware level. Um, a consequence of this is, um, so AAS50, and this is a problem I've experienced, um, uses all eight cores. Um, and can you know it, it? It transmits at a data rate of approximately eight wires in the ca- uh, physical cable carrying yes. the signal. Yes, yes. thank you. Um, if you have if one of those is damaged, it loses the ability to function completely. So that is that is not particularly good. If you had, say, for instance, a in an Ethernet network, you may get lucky and you may have the right core damaged, in which case the network would go from a full gigabit to 100 meg or um, it could fail completely, or it will sort of be able to continue operating. But if AES50 stops working, as with MADI, it just stops working hard. Um, so as 50 is like a star network, if you think of your, your router at the center and you've got your points spread out like a star. And the other thing I very, very quickly want to bring up is a, a system called OptiCore, um, which is also quite old. This is the thing about AES50, MADI, OptiCore. They're all fairly old standards. Now OptiCore uses fiber optic cables, but it's a ring network. So if you imagine standing on a roundabout and you've got five friends on the roundabout and you're not allowed to walk across the roundabout, you have to walk around the roundabout. So data passes from person one to person two to person three to person four, then back to person one. I did say five people, I've decided four. And it also passes simultaneously the other way around. You've got person one to person four to person three to person two, back to person one. The advantage of this is you've got redundancy in the sense that if you lose a link, audio will still be able to pass. If you lose one ring going in one direction, audio will still be able to pass. If you lose an entire link, audio will still be able to pass because it can go either way. Unfortunately, this means everything needs to be connected in a big loop, which cabling wise, it's not flexible. Um, it's not particularly nice to deploy. I was talking to some friends about, about it who've used Optical. I haven't used OptiCore personally myself. I'm aware of it as a system. And they've all said that it's fantastic when it works, but when it doesn't work, it's a real, real pain because it is so difficult to work with.
2: Mm, thinking on what, you, what you've what you already said, though, because we've mentioned redundancy a few times there. Yes. And, of course, we we were, uh, we both remember that issue that we had with the AES50 network going between the two Baron yes. X32s yes. we were running at Darts last year. Yeah. Um, in professional systems, uh, you tend to find that they have lots of... Uh, sort of passive redundancy so that if one link is uh, destroyed, the rest can carry on. Does that with the systems you mentioned, doesn't really uh, make any difference to the sort of line level uh, clone systems for line level signals that they used to use in big concerts maybe 30, 40 years ago?
0: That's really interesting. I don't have I don't have a good answer to that question. I'm sorry. Um I, I think the 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 reality is that you're right, which is any big deployment will have a physical level of redundancy built in. Um Optical AES-50 both make provisions for sending effectively two copies of the same data um from one location to another. That way if one of those cables became physically damaged, you could use the other. Um and you would have you would have seen something fairly similar. Um, With the old analog multi-core snake systems, the difference is with those that you might have, say, for instance, a big snake with sort of 200 cores running down it um, that's capable of carrying sort of 60, 70 channels of audio. Um, And if you lose a channel on that, you just move to a different one on the thing, on that that snake. Say, for instance, you've got a, a cable with... That's capable of carrying 32 channels of analog audio down it, and channel one stops working, but you're not using all 32 channels. Say, for instance, channel two is a spare. You might go from using channel one to channel two. With digital audio, if your cable stops working, you lose all of your channels, quite probably. So you do that. That second layer of redundancy, that second cable, the second physical cable, um, is is so significant
2: yeah essentially seamless failover yes,
0: yes that being Thanks. said um i in, in truth, I don't know if when building a s fifty redundant networks in the kind of or sort of more old fashioned hardware level networks so level one um audio networks that are not i p internet networks as we'll be discussing later. Um, I don't know if it is actually seamless failover. I don't know if you have to manually select to go from input one to input two or input A to input B. Um, that is something I can have a look at and try and find out for you. You are wine. Well, thinking of the routers you mentioned earlier,
2: I know that they can do that for Maddie. And indeed, uh, during Glastonbury last year, there was an incident where they needed to do that when a truck ran over a cable. There's a common theme going on here. I'm not sure
0: why. I, I, have, so, I have worked somewhere, and my induction to that place was being shown a ladder that had been run over by a truck the day before. Um, this, was a, this was a nice, expensive ladder, and this is off-topic, I am well aware, but it, it bent in about a 60-degree angle. Um, so trucks and live events um, don't mix very well, but unfortunately they are absolutely essential, or they don't happen. But yeah, trucks will run over just about anything that they can. mad destructors of the live audio world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Isaac, do you want to talk about broadcast quickly? Because this is more relevant to, of course, a radio station.
2: Uh, Yeah. So... Uh, I've seen the way that uh, audio over IP is used in a lot of uh, broadcast scenarios. It's it's getting pretty ubiquitous nowadays. Uh, Originally, you probably have just a simple, whether it be a control room, all the audio would make its way from the microphones, from any sort of carts, uh, sort of analog devices that play out cartridges on the desk, Uh, Into one big mixer, and then that mixer would be sent directly to the transmitter by some sort of affair. The BBC used to have, uh, for switching studios, they had this absolutely amazing device on the top floor of uh, Broadcasting House that literally span at about 10,000 RPM. And each of the, there were lots of segments on the outside of this drum. And, uh, it, each of those segments would correspond to a studio, so a studio would be rooted in, the drum would spin really quickly, and that would be how they switch studio. Whereas now, the way, way that it's done is there will be one master control center active. Uh, the BBC will actually have two for each of their national radio stations, and one mainly for the local ones. And you know, there's lots of redundancy at all of the levels, naturally, as we've already discussed. But There's still the common theme of that all the microphones will go into a desk, all the music or from the playout will go into a desk. Sometimes that desk can be remote to the actual studio. At URY, we sort of have the privilege of that all our studios each have their own independent desk, which can be separated and operated off from elsewhere not necessarily uh if you if you're a fan of classic fm for example uh the common theme with all of those stations is that they've only got control surfaces in the studio yes uh, which is sort of uh an interesting term to think about but anyone who's uh in any remote way familiar of the audio mix, will be you know they'll be, be aware of that there are faders there can be uh they can be knobs they can be uh, fit actual linear sliding things but there, there are ways that you control different things on the desk now the way that uh, you'll do it in broadcast nowadays is that rather than having a single uh, everything in one studio it will be somewhere else uh, it will be downstairs in the cellar, where it's nice and easy to cool, and where technicians can uh, touch it and enjoy it all day. Uh, rather than <laughs> rather than uh, have everything in what in one studio where presenters can touch it, because if you don't know, kids, presenters are the most destructive thing to radio equipment ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. Uh, I, I I was sent a message from a uh, not going to name them um, former URY. Uh, alumni, So a former URY alumni, a URY alumni who works in the industry, who sent me a photo of a control surface for one of their mixers, which had mm-hmm. had orange juice spilt over it and had decided um. to stop working completely. The cost of repair was many amount of money. The, now, that, that actually brings up an interesting
2: point because one advantage of isolating the thing that controls the magic box in the basement yes, uh, from... The magic box in the basement is that you can uh, keep one bo- box downstairs and control control it from any studio. Uh, that's how a lot a lot of transitions are done uh, to save money. They'll only spend what uh, money on one. Uh, they'll only spend cash on sort of one of these uh, Wheatstone or Axia boxes because they can go up to thirty grand sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that the BBC use for Nationals are, e- are easily in that sort of level and they will uh, uh, when they switch between studios rather than actually have two different independent studio setups a button will be pushed and suddenly the other studio will <laughs> essentially be control controlling uh, everything that goes out the door from that which uh, is nice because in th- at that point all you have in the studio uh, that can be damaged or presenterized is the microphones, it can have the, he- uh, the headphones uh, and you'll, ha- you'll have the control surface. All of those will go into one box with one sort of network output in it which will go down to where the actual equipment is and you have no idea how much actual equipment there can be for a fully function ra- radio station. You'll have satellite feeds to bring in uh, stuff from outside broadcasts and reporters in the field. You'll have lots of different uh, phone app- applications, network stuff, because the proper radio station will probably have uh, direct feeds from BT, which will allow them to cr- basically create their own phone lines whenever they need to. There will be uh, all sorts of quality monitoring stuff, and of course, the advert boxes if they're commercial. And each of these needs their own feeds into the broadcast chain. The way you handle that and the way that you make sure everything plays nicely is by having one audio of ip setup which is automated uh, for each of the different setups now most people will probably be aware of the big national networks of radio stations like capital and heart for example what they do is the during the day the main studio in Leicester Square will will send them a single feed over uh, a virtual network, an audio over IP network run by BT, which will go directly to their studios. And then when you hear the adverts, that's the only bit you're hearing that's actually coming from the local studios, until we get to the point where the news starts, where essentially the national feed will be faded down and the actual uh, news uh, news presenter will start talking, and it's only through the, the flexibility of audio of RIP that they can achieve that sort of automation these days. It's it's so you, good that in. Instead of just sending audio down the tap, as it were, down the pipe, they can also send commands. So if the national studio wants to fire adverts, they don't need to have a producer sitting in each of those local studios waiting. They simply fire a button, and that communicates with the machines at the other end in the local stations, and that does the job. And you can do that for jingles, you can do that for promos, and sometimes even for certain stations, they will even do special links, special sort of radio segments that you can only hear in a special in a certain area. It's all very sophisticated and pretty neat. And it's simply by mixing the control aspects and the actual audio content aspects that you're able to do that. Now, thinking about the longer distance usages here, you have uh, lots of sources coming in from outside the station, as I've already mentioned, the satellite feeds and whatever, but the main one uh, is the reliable radio phone-in if you're if you're a big bbc local radio fan you'll know that they always do their uh afternoon phone-ins throughout the week and they're a varying quantity and certainly the guests are a varying quantity uh we at your y don't have this sort of system now we use a phone line but most of them will have what's known as a uh oh jacob i've forgotten the term you couldn't
0: do you like a mixed-minus box, a, a telephone sometimes. Balancer, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, but, and they generate a mixed-minus.
2: We don't need to go, in, go into what that is, but essentially that's how the actual phone-ins come in. Uh, now, what if you, in the past, because obviously these networks have existed for decades now, they used to work essentially by sending the audio down a phone line. So, what it, But it wasn't just a regular phone line. The, there is this system called ISDN. It's Integrated Services Digital... Uh, Network, which uh, means that two devices can have a phone number and they can send uh, data directly between each other, which is important because in a regular network, things from outside that network can access it and it can be hacked. And that's all sorts of shades of nasty. If you've got two phone numbers, then you can say, okay, this ISDN box will only accept calls from this other number. And that's how... Uh, for a number of years, URY used to accept the uh, big uh, the big top 40, for example. We uh, we accept the ISDN for a few years. Nowadays, we're getting into uh, more adva- advanced use- usages of these. Well, advanced in their implementation, not advanced in usage. The, the entire point is that they're easy to use, and they're called Comrex boxes. Uh, that's sort of a... Uh, a brand name taken backwards to refer to the the general usage. The Telos Comrex boxes aren't the only items on the market, and indeed lots of them will be uh, better at different purposes than others, but they all use the same sort of solution, which is a SIP box. That essentially acts as a publicly addressable phone book on the network Where you can say, I want to speak to this person. Can I speak to this person? The SIP server will come out saying, Yes, you can. Here's how you do it. And that's how you keep things isolated behind networks.
1: You are wise.
2: Now, the big obvious disadvantage to all of this is that rather than your simple system where you can plug a phone into a mixer via a jack or even just use a telephone line, it all needs specialized equipment. And that equipment is very, very expensive. Just have yeah. a look on a Studio Spares website or something just shoving audio down the copper will not be good enough, and you're going to need devices, and I've to interpret that. And as me and Jacob have found many times, most oftentimes those devices can be by the same manufacturers, same product line, and they still won't speak to each other anyway. And yep, you'll that, never be able to figure out why without a <laughs> oscilloscope.
0: <laughs> that, that is... It's, it's the sort of a... Uh, the, 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 in the audio world there are various manufacturers who really like the idea of keeping you inside their product ecosystem and will effectively not let their products talk to other products even though the two products should be perfectly capable of doing so Um, and it is yes it's it's a frustrating thing that's that's sort of where Dante comes in though isn't it
2: which is the system you are why use yes because that can be lots of different devices by lots of different manufacturers. But theoretically, and you should know for the benefit of the listening audience, I have my fingers crossed while saying this because that's how you do it in real life. That's a professional solution. They should all speak to each other and everything should be fine. Uh, they, they are generally very reliable and they can do everything you need to. Slight problem, they're very, very expensive. Yes. Uh, the, the cheapest you can get of the Dante Abio, as Jacob has cut, kindly noted for me, is about £130 pounds each. And yeah. in order to replace one £5 pound copper cable, which can usually go about 100 metres before you start to get issues with it, will replace... Uh, you, you, that cable probably costs you about forty pounds, and you need two of the Dante devices, so two hundred and sixty pounds. In it's total. actually
0: slightly worse than that because not only will you need a cable to connect those two Dante devices together, but those Dante devices, those Dante devices require something called power over Ethernet, mm. which is where the network switch that sits in the middle um, supplies them both with power. Those network switches, of course, you won't. You could get one network switch, and that will run. Maybe, you know, 20, 30, 40 Dante Avios. Um but it's not cheap.
2: No, def- definitely not. Of course, we're being a bit obstructive here. I'm not I'm not sure if it, if, if that's the right word, but what you're not gonna use it in that way. The way that we u- use it, for example, at your University U Radio York, uh with our Dante Avio is we use that to take the news into our system. It comes out an interface, and then we can receive it from both studios. Because we want to have it in beautiful, full sky quality in both studios, but we don't want to have to pay for the duplication stuff, we don't want to have to run new audio cables, and with Dante we don't need to. We have our Avio, we plug it into the network switch, and then we can listen to it in stores where our transmitter is, we can listen to it in Studio Red, Studio Blue, in the office, and if uh, Campus AV is right in an email we've had recently, soon we may be able to listen to it anywhere on campus
1: you are wise.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've, I've just realised there's one thing that we didn't cover, which is clocking. Uh, which is bad, because that's actually really important. Yes. Uh, a, Do you want to very, very thing. quickly
0: explain clocking?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I was wondering if you if you could actually, Jacob, because uh, I remember the, a particular issue we, we, we had where you, you explained to me that you oh, can't
0: the, mix certain clocks together. The long and the short of it um, in terms of digital audio is that um, when you're sending audio over a network, you have to sample it. So you effectively gather samples and then you put those in packets and you send them off. Um, but there's no guarantee they all arrive at the same time. And if you if you were to um, just sort of turn them back into audio um, as they arrive in their sort of raw form, you get some very interesting sounds. So clocking is really important, and that's basically um, the fact that the audio... May not arrive in the same order that it was sent, but it is put back in and converted in the analog domain in the same order that it was created in the other, on the other end of the digital system in the in the analog domain. Um, the, the, yes, there's various in any digital system. What you ultimately end up fighting is oh. clocking, um, because everything has to run effectively to the same clock, um, or you have to go through a reclocker which effectively is a box that lets you uh, use a different system clock on one side to the other. Um, to put that to into g- perspective, hello. The oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Dante, if I recall correctly, uses the precision time protocol, which yes, it advertises an accuracy of up to one microsecond. The Dante clock, the internal Dante clock, it is fantastic. And I, I very quickly want to mention this. The great thing about Dante is that whilst you can tell Dante to use a particular clock, Um, It will actually, in the event that that product, that device is incapable of providing a clock, say, for instance, it drops off the network or encounters a failure, it will reasonably quickly, um, (coughs) provided nothing else goes wrong, choose a new clock and switch over to that clock. Um, I was clearing my throat because we have had several instances when that hasn't exactly gone according to plan. I did say presumably.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, I I think that's all we have time for on this week's episode, so I'd like to give a huge thanks to Isaac, Jacob, and now Marks for joining me this week. Thank you (laughs) for inviting me. Thank you so much, Harry. You're very welcome. (laughs) And do tune in to the programme again next week where I'll be rejoined by Jess and Alice.
0: Yes, that's right, Harry. Next week we'll be talking about effects, reverb and delay, so do tune in and listen to that episode. But if you haven't already had enough of audio over IP, you'd like to know a bit more, then there is an exclusive interview... uh, URY interview with Ross Collier of BBC Leeds Um, so do check that out, that's episode 6, part B
1: URY URY